Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan, joined by Russell Johnson, both of Jackets Online. And uh, Russell, it's been a crap week uh, for both of us. Um, Georgia Tech really uh, laid a giant egg in the season opener against Northern Illinois, where they, I won't use the phrase dominated because the AD got in trouble for that today, but um, they were statistically advantaged at almost everything except for like sacks and a couple and, and the one point on the scoreboard. Um, I, you watched it on TV. So you had a different perspective than I did sitting in the stadium. Uh, I mean, kind of what were your, what did you think about it? I think everyone's heard my thoughts at this point, but I was just curious, kind of your thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, my thoughts really was, you know, in, once the, in the, the first quarter, I mean, you could kind of tell something was not right. I don't know if it was, you know, you could tell they were going to lose the game, but you could tell pretty quickly that it was going to be a, um, it was going to be a, a battle just the way that uh, Jeff was playing and um, just, you know, being a little bit inaccurate and, and the missing the passes and then them being able to you know, be so locked in on stopping the run that um, it kind of forced him to pass and it was not allowing Gibbs to get out in space. Um, and then, you know, Mason wasn't really able, wasn't really making that much of an impact early on in the game. Um, and then, you know, as things went progressed, uh, you know, Sims turned the ball over uh, Sim, and proceeded to get injured. Uh, his status, we'll talk about that. We can talk about that later. Um, but him coming out and Yates going in, um, just it, it just changed the entire entire game offensively. I mean the the game plan seemed to change. Um, you know, Yates was able to complete some passes, and they were able to to really get some some momentum offensively. And then you know it got to the point to where they had taken the lead twenty one to fourteen, and I was you know sitting here on my couch, and I'm like you know what I I don't think they're gonna lose this game. Um, and then you know, Northern Illinois gets the stop. And George Tech gets a little bit conservative on that last drive. They had the ball offensively before they were losing by one. And, um, you know, they're just conservative play call, conservative play call. And then, you know, that they don't, they didn't throw the ball, which I mean, you, you can't blame them for at the same time, but, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. Um, and then when NIU was driving down the field, you could kind of tell that the, uh, the wheels were kind of falling off a bit. And uh, that was when, you know, the two-point conversion, you could argue as, much, as long as you want that, you know, the, the ball hit the ground and it should have been incomplete. But George Tech should never been in that situation. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that was the killers being – I mean, if you hit either field goal, if you kick the field goal instead of trying for the touchdown, any of those things go a different way and you, you win that game and, you know the, – the, it gets down to, you know, the things that are, are going to be in tech fan, co- fans' minds for a while are going to be co- game management stuff and clock management, right, with Coach Collins and and coming out looking sharp. And those things have all been an issue since he's got here. Um, I mean, uh, you know, th- the number of times they've come out flat is extremely high uh, in games. And, you know, they had plays there to make, right? Like to get down the field and get some points. And this Jeff didn't hit them. And then, yeah, I think, I think the teams wound so tightly 
from trying to win and everything that they can't relax and just play football. And um, I think that was kind of the issue with Jeff too. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, I think that, uh, you know, to me, I, I look at what happened and, and, you know, maybe it was a blessing that, you know, Jordan got to come in and give him a spark. Cause I don't know if Jeff was coming around. I don't know what was going on there. That was clearly, you know, between the helmet, not a, it wasn't physical. It wasn't anything else. Cause he was throwing the ball. Okay. And warmups and everything else. I don't, maybe it was just being in front of a crowd for the first time. Um, uh, right. You know, I don't know. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see um, kind of where, where they go with this and, and what happens with Jeff. And if he, you know, we can jump into it now. I, I, you know, my opinion is I think Jordan will start. I'm not basing that on anything I saw or, but I'm going with what I said at the beginning of the week, which is if a guy leaves with a significant injury comes out in a sling and you're in an RPO based offense, I just don't feel great about the chances of that guy playing the following week. And, you know, maybe if they get in control and he's been cleared and maybe he's been cleared now, I have no idea, but if he's been fully cleared for contact and um, you got a lead and you can put him in there and let him get some confidence. Sure. But right now, if Jordan's running the offense, he's got some confidence The players have got confidence in him as well. I think you roll with it. And, um, and then, you know, you, you roll with the hand you have right now. They need to win games. They need to win this game on Saturday. They need to do whatever they think is going to give them the best chance to win on Saturday, get past this game, and then try to, you know, put up a good fight against a Clemson team that's um, got some offensive issues too. So uh, to me, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how the next two games play out because um, they – you know, ultimately, if they beat Kennesaw convincingly and then they put on a good showing, you don't have to beat Clemson, but just don't look as bad as you have the first two times you played them, like show some progress there. I think yeah. that will calm things down a little bit until they get into coastal play. And then Lord knows we saw how bad the coastal is over the weekend. So, yeah, Duke lose to Charlotte. You had uh, Virginia Tech upset North Carolina. You had, um, you know, Pitt beat it a horrible UMass team. So you don't know what to make of that. Um, and Miami get just smacked around by Alabama and uh, clearly not be the use clearly not back either. So um, they're kind of what yeah. everyone thought, which is maybe a little bit better or worse than they were. They're probably worse than they were a year ago because they lost all those guys on defense. So, you know, to me, I think you, it, <laughs> Jeff can save himself this season and save himself with the fans. You just got to start winning games, man. That's what people want to see. They're frustrated. And, you know, Georgia Tech hasn't been in this situation since 1988, I guess, something like that, like where they were just that bad, this bad, you know, like um, I think it's uh, – I think this is um, a chance for Jeff to kind of redeem himself a little bit here in the fans' eyes. We'll see if he can do it, man, because he's not winning the press conference anymore. And uh, clearly this week that didn't go well for him either. They didn't like his uh, 
stare down of uh, Ken from the AJC. They didn't like the, um, they wanted him to pull a Josh Pastor, the fans. Josh Pastor last year loses to Georgia State, Mercer, and comes out and says, it's on me. I screwed up as a coach, blah, 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 and owned it, right? And for a while, people were like, oh, that was just talk. And then they started winning, and everyone loves Josh again, right? Yeah. Winning cures all at the end of the day, right? Like, you know, um, Jeff's still early enough in his tenure. If he can just be in the hunt in the coastal, I think that'll be enough to get people back on the bandwagon. They want, here's the thing people want to support you, right? Like, they want to support the program. They like the kids, all that stuff. Um, you just got to give them a product that's enjoyable to watch, right? Like, and not, make the same mistakes you've been making and not be able to kick a field goal and, you know, be able to get off the field when you need to and score points and look good doing it. And, you know, I've been critical of coach Padnote. I thought he called a great game actually on, on Saturday. Um, you know, I thought they got maybe a little pass happy early with Jeff struggling, but maybe he was trying to get him going. I don't know. And they definitely had things there um, wired up as, as he likes to say. Uh, you know, and they just didn't hit them and that sucks. And then you look at the, you know, I think the drop by Malachi was pretty big. Um, yeah, that was a really big play in the game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, they can't, they can't seem to catch a break, I guess is the way I would say it. Like, you know, they made the one, you had West make the one big play where he forced the fumble. He got the ball back to score to take the lead. And you know, really other than that, did they have you know, all of the momentum plays really didn't go their way. They didn't have an, they had one explosive pass and no explosive runs basically of like that ain't runs over 20. Um, so that's not ideal either against Northern Illinois. And, and that's something that killed them too. I think the best run was probably Jordan Mason's run down the sideline where they should have scored there. Uh, Donicus didn't quite get the block on the guy. And yeah. was that the series where they had the turnover on downs? It might have been. Um, I believe so, yeah, because he didn't get in the end zone. And then, uh, yeah, that was that one, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so um, – and, uh, you know, like at the end of the day, you got to win games, man. And this has been a program that's won a lot of games and, you know, part – maybe a little bit to Jeff's detriment. The team's been very consistent for like 30 years, right? Like you go back to when, when Ross started winning again and 89, I guess it was, you know, from there until other than the one Bill Lewis season and the one year that Paul Johnson had all the injuries, they've been either 500 or better, right? Like very consistently and usually in the hunt for the ACC coastal every single year, you know, um, in the last, two years well i guess last the first year they finished towards the bottom or in the bottom i forget and then last year it was just there was no coastal or whatever but they would have finished towards the bottom so compete for your conference you know the schedule is hard people get that part of it i think people are reasonable on that end but you got to stop losing these your buy games like you can't lose you can't pay somebody a million dollars to lose a game like that's just is that how much insane. they paid them that's what I saw on Twitter. I never, I don't like looking that stuff up for whatever reason. It don't, it doesn't interest me like the buy game money. Um, yeah. It could be 500. It could be, it just depends on how usually those deals depend on how the school wants to structure them. 
Like, yeah. do they want travel? Do they want to book their own travel? Like, and those can fluctuate your price, uh, your price point a lot. Um, this was a, I feel like this was a replacement game for something. Um, I can't remember what it was. There was something else. I think they might've been, they were supposed to play two lane, like a couple of times, like a four, it's supposed to be a four game series and they tried to back out and some boosters intervened on both sides to, to get a two game series at the time. But, um, you know, uh, so maybe this is part of that. I, this scheduling so far out and so convoluted, it's hard to keep track of why, why games are played when. Um, but it was definitely a buy game. I just don't know what, what the buy was. But either way, you're, you're paying for a loss, which sucks, right? Yeah, yeah and, exactly. You know, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I don't know. So they got to fix this. And, and ultimately, the thing you and I have talked about and harped on over and over again is, you know, winning is going to impact recruiting in a positive way. Well, losing can have the, the opposite effect. And I guess kind of what's the word on the streets these days, you're, you're following all these kids and seeing what's going on. And, you know, all of them are saying the right things right now, but how, how important is Saturday's game just in the scheme of things? Well, I mean, obviously I think if, uh, if, if they, if they lose to Kennesaw state, I may be busy, uh, writing some of those uh, those dreaded update or what I'm hearing threats for the uh, the rest of the weekend. Um, but but all, all jokes aside, um, you know, I've said it multiple times and, and, you know, I stand by it. The fact that, you know, the staff does need to win games if they're going to, number one, keep the recruiting class they have together. And number two, attract the talent that they're looking to finish the class with especially, you know, top targets who they've been after for multiple years, uh, you know, some kids they've been trying to flip, um, those kind of things, and as well as even, you know, new targets who are evaluated and offered. Um, you're not really going to move the needle much as a program, you know, losing games consistently like you did, you know, on Saturday to NIU. And um, what it seems like the the, the – I wouldn't call it the, the sales pitch, but the, the point has, that has been made to me by some of the commits is, you know, that this is just, you know, a part of the process. And uh, what, once they get here, like the 2022 class, uh, I've talked to several of them and they've all mentioned their um, group message they have together. I know Georgia Tech and group messages, the joke <laughs> writes itself, but, um, but they're talking about it. And, you know, a lot of them were at the game on Saturday and a lot of them will be at the game you know, at Kennesaw, but, or against Kennesaw State. And um, but the thing is, is, you know, the, these kids, they, they seem to be acting on n- not as much emotion as the fan base does, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, they're, they don't have this emotional attachment. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just lost that game. What, what, how, how are they going to use me now? You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, especially kids who have been committed for a while, like, you know, Willis and um, even even some of the newer commits like Powell, Lee Powell and uh, Kyle Eford, you know, those type of kids. But they all seem everybody still seems to be um, bought in and, and and locked in for the most part. Even you know Horace Lockett, um, all of the the high profile commits they have don't really seem to be be wavering. The only one I haven't really spoken with 
um, is, is KJ Miles. And um, I feel like once he gets back on the field after he gets cleared from his you know, injury he suffered early on in the, the offseason, that uh, he'll be a little bit more uh, reachable. Um, but, you know, like you said, and, and like I said, winning is going to help things. Um, but if they you know, continue to lose, I think that's when things may get uh, a little bit ugly. For sure. I think that, you know, I think that's, you can't lose to like the Kennesaw States or whatever. I think the first year you get a buy, even though that was a terrible loss. Yeah. And, 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 you know, let's be honest too. Like we saw a crap load of these games, you know, there's a game that I'm calling the misery bowl this week. It's Vanderbilt and at Colorado state, both of those teams lost to FCS schools in week one. Yeah. Colorado lose to South Dakota state. I think it was, who's actually a very good program. And then Vanderbilt lost to East Tennessee state, who I'm going to go on a limb and say is probably not a great football program. Um, you said South Dakota state's a, a very good program. I thought so. Is that not right? I thought they were the better of the two Dakotas right now or something. I don't I follow a lot of FCS football. I, I thought North Dakota state was, they're the ones that had I thought North Trey Dakota Lance st- and see, I thought North Dakota state was good. And then I heard, I feel like I was listening to something and they were talking about how this year South Dakota state's supposed to be the better school in the, but I could be off on that. No. But, oh, um, South Dakota state number two. No. Oh, okay. So I retained some knowledge. I mean, you know, once I hit 40, my North Dakota state's number five, (laughs) my, my memory has been shot, but, um, you know, having four hitting 40 and having the second kid basically sucked all, all the juice out of my brain. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like I had heard that when I was listening to something or watching like maybe the raps of the post games or whatever. Yeah. You had Washington who was ranked lose to Montana. You had um Illinois. Illinois Illinois who beat Nebraska lose to um oh shit, who did they play? Um UTSA. Yeah. Well, so that's not FCS school. They're actually an FBS program, but they've been routinely terrible. There was a bunch of I had a list at one point I was running, um, because I thought about posting it and then I was like, eh. So, yeah, so here's the hit list, Russell, because I still have it on my phone. UC Davis beat Tulsa, which was bad. Eastern Washington beat UNLV. Eastern Washington's been a traditionally good program. In the FBS, you had Charlotte beat Duke, which we talked about. You had South Dakota State FCS school beat Colorado State. Montana over number 20, Washington. Holy Cross beat UConn, but, you know, as bad as UConn is, I don't know that's much of a – there's much to read into that. Um, yeah. The UTSA game you talked about, Illinois, East Tennessee State beat Vandy, Nevada beat Cal. Nevada's a, a okay G5 program. They have not been very good in the last like decade. I feel Look out like for that QB though. Utah State, which is one of the better G5 programs traditionally, they beat Washington State, and I think that was in Pullman. And they had Northern Illinois. So you had like what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, whatever, 12 games, 13 out of um, probably maybe 45, 50 of those type of games. So, I mean, it's becoming more common, surprisingly. Um, 
but it doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean it's acceptable. So I, I just want to point that part of it out. And, you know, maybe Thomas Hammock has revitalized NIU football. I, I somehow doubt it based on what I saw on Saturday, but, um, you know, I guess we'll find out at the end of the year. The interesting thing about the Mac and um, Mike Flynn, Georgia Texas ID, who's a Miami Red Hawk, uh, was talking about this. Is t- he? What? Is he really? Yeah, he he went he went to school there. Yeah. So, oh, gosh. so Flynn was telling me that the interesting thing about the Mac, which I agree with him on, is that most of these schools, their budgets, everything's very similar. The schools are set up very similar. Their enrollments are similar. And yeah. so they're all very even playing field. And if you look at it, kind of the history of the conference, it kind of vacillates um, who's in, in the power position. And really, it's changed a lot over even the last few years. So, you know, who knows? Maybe NIU is going to turn a corner or something, but it still doesn't make it look any better. Um, it's no. when you buy the game, like you, you got to beat those teams. And, you know, next year they play instead of that they're playing central florida at central florida so um who who could theoretically be in the big 12 at that point uh along with Ole miss and georgia and uh what is their bye game next year uh like the fcs game i don't know what their fcs game is next year Do they have one i think they have one uh give me a second i'll look it up but no i'm looking um western carolina, western carolina yeah uh, Kerwin Bell, the former uh, uh, USF offensive coordinator for one year that uh, got Charlie Strong fired, is uh, taking over that program this year. Um, after their staff it? got, yeah, yeah, he got hired after the uh, the spring weird season there. Um, they had a spring gotcha. football season and uh, they fired the whole staff after the spring, which was kind of weird. But, um, and then they lost their line coach pretty recently. Yeah, he died of COVID. He was a young yeah. guy too, and his uh, he had been at USF too uh, as a GA. Um, so that's tough. And Kerwin Sons on that staff too, I think. But um, back to the point, you know, I mean, you don't have a lot of layups. You got to hit your layups, right? And this is yeah, this is you know, like missing a layup in a playoff game, like in the basketball and basketball, like when you do that it, there's usually repercussions and so for you know georgia tech you got to make this up somewhere else in your schedule and the schedule's really hard so yeah if you want to go bowling i was joking on the board earlier that that great irony in this will be watch jeff will win five games not go bowling because they lost to niu um, right and, and that would be the uh... most georgia tech thing ever like they didn't go to a bowl game in Paul Johnson's next to last season because they lost a game because Central Florida canceled because of a hurricane that didn't actually hit Orlando. I remember that. Um, and it was funny because USF played that week. They they practiced once and played Illinois, and I think they may have beat them. Um, but, uh, you know, Scott Frost sent his players home. It was a whole thing. and. It turned yeah, into yeah big, I remember. Turned into big Twitter brouhaha because I kind of called him out for it a little bit because one of my buddies was on Frosty's staff and kind of said that they were not excited about facing the triple, so it was sort of an easy decision to send the kids home that week. But um, 
anyways, uh, as a digression, getting back, you know, Kennesaw State will be entering. They play the triple option, which, you know, everyone's scared to death because they lost the Citadel a few years ago. Jeff and them have faced it plenty of times. If they had Army several times and Navy at, at, at Temple and beat both of them, I think, and maybe lost one of those. So it's, you know, like, I, the, the, I don't think I could deal with it mentally if they lost the game because of how big of the melt would be on the board and the irony of it being Bo Hannon, who is a guy that a few people wanted to be the Georgia Tech head coach, even though he's a UGA grad. Um, yeah, I, he, he noted that in his, uh, his presser this week too. Yeah, that, I thought that was funny. He talked about how it, it's weirder for him to go back to Athens than – it is for him to go to Georgia Tech now that he um, he he was there, uh, you know, for six years or eight years or whatever it was. Uh, I forget right. how long, but I forget how long Bo was there um, with Paul. Yeah, I'm not sure, but doesn't uh, Kennesaw don't they run a like a different variation of the triple than? Like, so I they have pistol they run a lot more. And yeah, they have more more. They're not just in the flex bone. They have more sets and stuff and paul had some of that but it was always motioning out of things and stuff they line up um differently and they have um different personnel packages and stuff they're they're more in line with um a more advanced version of what navy and army are doing they both those schools ha- even have some of that stuff but uh kennesaw's pushed it kind of further they're sort of what i would say is between what willie fritz ran at Georgia Southern and what Paul runs, they're sort of in the middle ground of that. Um, gotcha. Still, you know, a lot of the fundamentals of that, but they can do some other things. Uh, assuming they have a quarterback, obviously they had the tragic story where their quarterback got killed over the summer uh, back home in Pensacola. And then the backup quarterback who's been their starting quarterback this year is hurt. I'm not sure as of earlier this week, he wasn't practicing. So they could be in their third string quarterback coming into to Atlanta too. Um, you know, uh, they got to line up. They got to win this game by a few scores. It doesn't need to be close. I think if they do that, I think they'll be in good, you know, a good position to move forward and then hopefully not get slaughtered at Clemson. And if they can do those things, I think, you know, people will start to come back around ultimately at the end of the day uh jeff's still at the point where people will support him i just think he has to really think about how he approaches things going forward with his press conferences because the fans are so hypercritical of the because it's really that's his 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 two avenues right are his twitter and his press conference and it's once a week you know he only talks once a week and he's very um, – he's, he's almost like a stump speech, sort of. And Pastner had this same kind of issue for a while, too. I think Pastner was uncomfortable with where his team was at, and it made him very stump speechy. And I wonder if Jeff goes through the same things because I've seen his pressers at Temple, and they weren't like that. So I wonder if he feels – when he starts to feel more relaxed, things will – you know, get a little less, um, less, uh, formulaic is not the word I want to use. Um, 
it just seems he's very hyper-focused on messaging. And I don't know that that's the place for it. I think you can do that in your intro piece and then try to be a little more thoughtful in the rest of your stuff. And that would buy him a lot more leeway with the fans. Because let's face it, the guys before him in the job, Larry and Paul were brutally honest to fault probably. And Chan was just a really nice guy who was well coached in how to deal with the media. Um, and Jeff's not in that sort of range. He's, he's a different kind of dude, man. And like, that's just how he is. And I try to explain it to people, but it's sort of like, he'll, we could have a very frank conversation about something, but he doesn't want to go on the record talking about those things. Um, I think he's very protective of his kids for whatever reason. And he thinks he's doing the right thing by them, by deflecting. And, uh, you know, he got asked about, you talking about his children or are you talking about, I'm talking players? about the players. Um, okay. And, um, not his daughter, but the players and he, uh, like when he got asked about Jeff Sims, not playing well, he deflected and, and then Padno comes up. He's like, yeah, Jeff came out and was not playing. Like it was bad. Start the game. Basically, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I think you come across as, insulting the intelligence of your audience when you don't acknowledge things that are plainly obvious. Right. Um, yeah. You know, the kick in sucked. He, he did kind of own that a little bit. Um, you know, uh, clock management, those things, like you just gotta be like, Hey, I screwed up. You know, I, he explained why he did what he did with the timeout and the going for it. Um, you know, I, I think you have to be quicker on those decisions than that and not waste the time out there. Um, but whatever, you know, like if he thought it was a, if Padno told him in his ear that I got something that's a hundred percent or whatever, 95% going to hit. And it was a good play. Just, uh, McGowan didn't get his feet in. Um, so you know, I don't know, man. Um, he was pretty just, accountable for that, I thought. Um, yeah, I, I just I think he gets lost in the trying not to be negative thing a little bit too a little too much at this point, and that the fans just wanted him to, to own it, and he didn't, and so I think that's where the the struggle is right now. That's what he's getting ripped for in the Atlanta media right now, on the radio and stuff. Um, for the people that listen to that. And, you know, he's going to – here's the other fact that I'll be honest with people. Georgia Tech, if that was Kirby Smart and he did that, he's not going to take the heat that Jeff Collins is going to take because that's just how it works here. I've seen it with Paul Johnson and Mark Richt and, you know, even going all the way back to Jim Donnan and Georgia Larry and, um, you know, Chan Gailey. I just remember, like – you know, how they've portrayed all those dudes in the local media. So to me, he's not going to get the benefit of that. So I think you have to be a little more cognizant of some of those things and hopefully, you know, he'll figure those out uh, as he goes along, but you know, he's going from a point where he had been a defensive quarter for a long time where you just get asked about X's and O's to being a head coach where your overall visions and 
getting questioned constantly. And when he was at Temple, he had taken over kind of a turnkey job in a lot of ways. And this was not a turnkey job in any way, shape or form, unless you hire Jeff Munkin or whatever, and you're going to run the same system. So um, it, it's been a long road. The one other thing that I, I really feel like we have to mention too is I've, I've seen some people be critical of like the, how like, like say Miles Brooks or um, I'm trying to think of who else was, who else was in that class with Miles that was like a high profile kid. Um, high profile. I mean, you had Jared Ivy who's play who started the last game. Um, if, you know, Tyson Miguez is out for the year. Um, Tavian Franks. I don't think he dressed on Saturday if I remember correctly. those kids like everybody's like where are those kids his 2019 class was just like whatever they could get and keep out of the old class and he had to keep a lot of those kids yeah the 2020 was his first class they had like no semblance of a normal developmental year last year so those kids are basically still freshmen i don't give a shit what you think like like i i saw firsthand like how different things were for those kids like I know all about what was going on behind the scenes. And I will tell you that everywhere across the country, everyone's pretty much looking at those kids as basically true freshmen that enrolled early. Like, you know, so you're not going to see anything from those kids yet. Like you're just not, except for a few guys like Jared Ivy or Jordan Williams or or Jeff Sims or Gibbs, right. Who are the higher end guys in your class. Kyle Kennard's come on a little bit. But, you know, the with Jalen Huff probably was in that class. He's in the two deep. Miles Brooks in the two deep. But they're not going to push guys for starting jobs yet. This just if they are, you're you have other problems. I think, to be yeah. honest with you, like you're not at that point yet. And um, so I think you got to hold out a little bit too on the. Well, he's had you know X amount of time to get his kids in the program. Sort of, they've done a nice job with the tran. I mean, the transfers they took for the most part, they've hit better than 50% of them, which I think's pretty good. Like given what a crapshoot taking transfers is, um, you know, Kyrick McGowan obviously has worked out really well for them. Devin Cochran played a great game. Ryan Johnson's been very solid. Didn't have his best game on Saturday, but he he's been solid. Nick Penley started right tackle, had a great game for them. Um, you know, still kind of shaking off the cobwebs there. Uh, you know, AC Lee was okay. Um, he's good in his spots. Like he, yeah, I, I think they need to figure out how to use him differently. Like I don't know that he's a guy who needs to play eighty percent of the snaps. Or not. he played ninety eight percent of the snaps last game, and I, I don't understand why they do that. Like it drive it drove me crazy with David Curry, and it drives me crazy with AC Lee. Like you're yeah. killing that guy. By the end of the game, he was dead tired. You could tell on the field. And you gotta have some other plan, and you have Quez and um, Tatum who can play that same spot. Roll the dice, let them play. Like if you need to find someone else to communicate the plays in when they're on the field or whatever the hell it is you have to do to work around that. But you you gotta give that dude a break. He can't play eighty plays a game. He has to play. If you want to be effective, he probably needs to play like fifty or less. Um. But, you know, like, so, yeah, going back to the point, like, most of those guys are contributing in some way, shape, or form. 
So, um, you know, the recruiting classes should start to show something towards the end, like in the second half of the season this year, you'll start to maybe see some of those 2020 guys start to emerge a little bit, get into, get into rotation, the ones that aren't playing yet. And then ultimately, I mean, you know, if you look at, go back and look at it, you know, probably the most impactful kid um, that's, that hasn't played that would be playing a big role in this team is the one who died in Bryce Gowdy, right? Cause you had Jeff and Gibbs, you knew what those guys were sort of that one of those, you know, you knew either Jeff or Tuck was going to end up being the quarterback. Probably you knew that Gibbs and Jordan Williams were going to be key pieces, but the guy that they needed was Bryce guy. They needed a playmaking wide receiver. They still don't have that piece of the puzzle. And because of the way the offense looks, I think it's been hard for them to try to go get someone to come be here, come be that guy here too. Like most of the playmaking wide receivers like that are, going to the NFL or, you know, they can go play at Alabama or whatever. Like they're not coming to, you know, play at Georgia tech, like uh, the transfer portal, you got to develop that on your own. Like there just aren't many. I mean, how many transfer wide receivers have you even seen that are like major impact guys? There's not a lot like, right. So, you know, you can't expect to, you know, hit the portal and find, you know, DeAndre Smelter or Demarius Thomas or whatever, like the Darren Waller, those guys just aren't there. So you got to develop them in your own system. And, you know, they, um, they just, that's, you know, going to take a little bit of time. The guy, the one guy they had like that was Leo Blackburn and he blew out his knee, you know? So um, I think, you know, they've had, they've had some really bad luck. I mean, Brandon Adams dying, you had Bryce die, you had Leo Blackburn blow out his knee. Um, at some point, like there is like that piece of this too. Like they've just had bad luck wherever they can. Antonius Clayton's had his stuff. Um, and even like Tyson, who they really were excited about at linebacker blow, you know, has his leg injury or I think it's leg injury. Um, you know, Keon White, who's a stud defensive end they bring in, he gets hurt training by himself in the offseason. Um, yeah, at some point, you know, like some luck's got to break it their way. I wonder if it's going to start happening at some point soon, hopefully. But I'm not as down, I, I'm not as down as like other people are about it. I think I don't have the gold color glasses, so I see it a little more clearly, hopefully. Hopefully it's not my business mind <laughs> hoping for the best here, but I mean, Russell, do you, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? I guess. Oh, I mean, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, you know, I'm not as, as negative. I mean, I'm not in the, the melting stages that have taken place on JOL since, you know, Saturday around Saturday night. I mean, it's, uh, it's been, it's been interesting, I guess, to see the, um, the way that things have kind of turned, um, you know, the, Jeff's presser yesterday didn't really do do many favors. Uh, you know, he he said what he said and did what he did, but um, that, that that like you said, that wasn't really what the fans wanted. And then you know, the players speaking today, um, I thought that kind of helped. You know, kind of turn things even a little bit further to the point to where when tomorrow rolls around and Friday, you know, and you know, like. Pre-game stuff gets going, like like actual pre-game stuff, you know, like the 
the game previews we do on JOL and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I feel like I mean, there's not going to be, you know, hope everywhere and everybody excited and amped up for the game. But I, I expect it to, to be back to being the, the majority. And um, I mean, I saw something a little bit similar to this, you know, in year one, like you were talking about when they lost in the Citadel. And um, but it, it took a little bit longer than it did for this one. Um, I think, number one, that's because Northern is not a FCS program and uh, Northern also does not run the triple option. So it wasn't like a, a slap in the face type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I think it's just you got to move along and, and focus on the next thing. And, you know, ultimately, you know, Saturday can't get here soon enough. It's good they're playing at noon. Um, get the game going early and, and hopefully for, for everyone's sake around the program, a win and then get ready for a really tough game at Clemson against a very good, you know, defense that, that didn't give up a touchdown in the game. Didn't give up a, give up what three points defensively in the game against Georgia in the season opener. So, yeah, um, you know, they're pretty stout. Georgia's, I don't think Georgia's as good as people think in terms of their offense, but they're good enough to score some points and they couldn't on Clemson. So that's, that's kind of a little bit scary um, going into that yeah. game, but you know, then North, it looked like North Carolina fell back to earth. So. Um, I tried telling you all off season, Phil Longo should have taken a head coaching job when he had, yeah, I know chance. you hate Phil Longo, man. You got your, your Mr. Anti Phil Longo. I'm not really anti Phil Longo. I just feel like um, I feel like he kind of reached his ceiling last year at UNC, and you know now there's going to be some regression. Um, I mean, I watched it. I when I was covering Ole Miss, he had a team that had Dawson Knox, who's the starting tight end for the Bills, DK Metcalf, starting receiver, star receiver for the Seahawks, AJ Brown, star receiver for the Titans, and Shea Patterson. Warm five star quarterback, you know, ended up at Michigan, blah, blah, blah. And and they couldn't get anything going there. He he what he couldn't figure it out. And you know, to see what what happened week one against Virginia Tech, I saw quite a bit of the same you know, type of play calls, same you know, decision making. Uh, and it really it, it hurt Hal quite a bit. Um, wouldn't be surprised if his his draft stock was, you know, kind of like a little bit less in pen and a little bit more written in pencil, um, you know, throughout this year, as people try to figure out, you know, what, what it is that, that his weaknesses are and his strengths. And um, just, especially you know, playing that game basically at home. I mean, it is, you know, at the bend um, that that's going to be a, a really big one. I think that'll be the one where um, you'll see tech start to invite, recruits in the triple digits and not in the the double digits in terms of you know getting visitors around the program and stuff i know there's quite a few kids who have already circled that game and are you know amped up to get there um but like you said they've got a battle with clemson first and you know clemson's offensive line really 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 had a hard time and no i'm not 100 percent sure that you know georgia tech's defensive line is anywhere near as good as UGA's, but, you know, there's definitely something there. And 
you know, once you they see that on film and they can find a way to attack it. Uh, I mean, that's where, you know, Thacker comes in play and, and the work that, you know, Coach Knight and Coach Coleman have been have been putting in since they arrived as well. And, you know, developing that and and really seeing the the continued development. I mean, everybody was a little bit surprised, I'm sure, that, you know, you know Georgia Tech did not record a, a sack last week, correct? Yeah, there was uh, – I think they had two tackles for a loss in the game, Trace Willen yeah. and, and Wes Walker. Yeah, that's right. I know Wes had one. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, they want to see – you want to see several of those on Saturday. Um, anytime, you know, Kennesaw does decide to pass the ball, you want to – you expect them, you know, number one, given the, the talent separation and the, the size separation, my goodness, the size separation between the two teams, you expect them to get pressure and, and, you know, you know, being able to get into that mindset, you know, getting the sacks, getting the, the consistent, you know, tackles for loss that, I mean, that's supposed to help a program like Georgia tech before, you know, playing Clemson. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, that'll be sort of the interesting rub on all of this is, you know, if they can, somehow managed to have a, a showing there and, and then play Carolina well in the bends. I think it bodes well for the rest of the season. Um, but we got a long way to go from there. You need to see them play well on, on Saturday against Kennesaw state and, you know, and keep the momentum they have what, what there is. And, and Jeff needs to really have a good think about um, the next time they're in a losing situation what he how he wants to control and create a narrative that is less is more palatable for the fan base and i think if you can do those things i think you you're a long way towards um you know improving your situation at georgia tech and and also you know just making everyone feel better about where the program's going um because people you know i think year one and year two were very much about selling i think right now you have to provide the goods and um, the goods are having a quality product on the field and, and showing that your team's improved and that you can develop players and all the things you're promising in recruiting too. You need to show that you can start to do those things. And I see, you know, pieces of it. I think anyone who thought they didn't, they looked as bad as they did last year is out of their freaking mind. They watched that game on, on Saturday. They looked, way, way better on offense, especially with the eights in there. And I thought the defense played a lot better and uh, was their tackling was significantly better than it's been. Yes. Uh, open field tackling was good. Um, you know, special teams too. was, yeah, special teams was good. Uh, there were a lot except for kicking again, but yeah. Um, you know, the kickoffs were even better than they've been. Uh, punting was much better than I anticipated. So, you know, there's things you can take away from that, but, you know, you got to win the damn game at the end of the day. And uh, I think they got to, they got to figure that part of it out. And that's the next evolution of what they're doing. And hopefully that comes soon. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, um, you know, like you were kind of joking, the, uh, them getting five wins and then, you know, not getting to a bowl game because they lost the NIU. I feel like they, they would be able to make that, uh, that sixth game up, you know, if they were able to, number one, find some momentum this week in terms of, you know, just 
stability, uh, whether it's Yates playing quarterback or, you know, Sims somehow miraculously being out there. Um, but just being able to, to do that and then, you know, show some fight against Clemson and then you know, some coming out on top somehow against UNC. I think that's where you can get back that, that opportunity to be able to play in a bowl game. If you, if you can beat UNC, I feel that kind of turns the schedule around a bit, especially you know, you've, you've got some pretty favorable matchup coming in after that, especially because also when you know, we did our preseason predictions, we expected them to be two and oh, Yes. Going to Clemson, not not one and one. Yeah, absolutely. So they've got to make that game. It's you know it's the thing of digging yourself a hole, right? Like as soon as you dig a little bit of a hole, you got to figure out how to how to get out of it, and that'll be really interesting. But you know, we'll see. Hopefully, when we reconvene next week, we'll be talking about a win and how how they're going to manage at Clemson instead of. Um, what we've had to talk about for most of this podcast, but uh, I think that'll wrap it up for tonight. Um, any final thoughts, Russell, you want to share? Um, you know, I think uh, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, the fact that people are surprised that, that kids are still, still visiting. Um, I think it's very important. Oh, that's, yeah, that is hilarious that they think that they're jumping off bridges. Like the fans are that, that they have like fans have like zero understanding of, how how recruits look at stuff or the why or you know they don't even understand that some of them look at it like well i could be the guy that would make the difference and why they win or lose this game you know like yeah. there's so much that goes into all of that and like half the time they're like watching one position on the field or not paying attention to the whole game like they're hyper focused on like the guy who plays their position and how they use right. them or whatever. Like people have like kids really, uh, unless they grew up a fan of a school, do not care about a lot of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think because there, there is going to be some talented kids. Uh, I know, you know, Braden Joyner, a uh, rivals rivals two fifty lineman from Alabama, uh, will be there, and then several of the commits are going to be there again. And, I'm not sure if uh, Azaria is going to make the trip again. Uh, probably depends on where his game's at on Friday. I haven't really looked into that. Um, but but just you know, seeing that recruitment continue to unfold, and then you know, I also uh, everybody. It's been a, a topic, a hot topic, and really a, a tired topic. Um, I expect quarterback recruiting to really heat up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, they uh, offered um, the kid that decommitted from Baylor. Uh, on yeah, Zach, Zach Pyron or Pyron or however you pronounce it. Vincent yeah. Valley in Alabama. Yeah, yeah, that's where he had Kool-Aid last year. The uh, the kid who's at, at Bama now. So I oh think, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, uh, it'll be I'm interested to see how that one goes. I'm uh, should have I'll have a story on Jackets Online here in the next 36 hours from the time you listen to this. And then um, we'll we'll see what happens there. And then there's still some others that are still evaluating and yeah. If you're well. a subscriber, you can go read our offer board. There's two names on it right now. Um, we'll leave that as a little a little Easter egg for for those who are uh, subscribers. You can go see who the other name is. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Um, I guess kind of any you know like kind of what it, I guess. What is your prediction for Saturday, Russell? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, let's see. 
I think Kennesaw gets in the end zone. Sure. I'm not. I have no idea if their field goal kicker is any good. But uh, I'm gonna go with. Let's go, forty-five to ten. But okay, I think it could. I think. I think. Georgia so they Tech cover right at forty-five to ten because it's what twenty-one or something. I don't know what the spread is. But yeah, probably. I did so poorly in my picks the first week. I don't even want to talk you, about You know points. what? I, I don't want to see point spread. You know what, dude? I think uh, you finished second, actually. You and Bronston finished second. I finished last in the picks. I went four and seven against oh, the spread they, last week. Hey, you went five I'll, and six. Uh, Alex won it. Um, I forget what game he won it with. It was He had only one pick that was against all of us, and that was what won it for him. Um. But yeah, that's that's funny. Probably Virginia Tech, if I had to guess. Maybe it might have been that one. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but yeah, I was pretty salty. I, I I was uh I was mad about some of the uh some of the the way the games unfolded for some of those, and that damn UMass couldn't couldn't cover the thirty eight against Pitt. When the yeah, hell has Pitt yeah. beat by anyone by thirty eight in the last since Tony Dorsett? like play there right um no exactly but uh, i i i definitely expect them to cover and i expect uh quite a few of the freshmen to play in the second half um, i think you'll see some of the the class of 2021 start to see the field a little bit obviously we won't be out there but you see some others when i th- think you'll see weston franklin get some snaps yeah i think that's fair <clears throat> i wouldn't be surprised to see um see some different folk out there and you know that was the thing that sort of sucked about the last game you, you never had opportunity to get like jemias griffin in the game or kenyatta watson let him play some corner or caleb edwards come in and play some nickel or safety or um just some of those guys that uh, i feel like you might have saw if the game was a little more uh in hand um just they didn't get those opportunities so it'll be interesting to see what happens this week with with the mighty uh owls of kennesaw state but i guess we'll wrap it up let russell go to sleep uh and you guys can listen to this in the morning or on your ride homes or whatever but thank you for listening to the jackets online podcast it's russell johnson and uh, we'll be back uh, next week